0: hello everyone and welcome to el perspective today we are speaking about the concept of monarchy we witnessed the coronation of king charles III, who is the new king of the united kingdom of great britain and northern ireland and i thought that this might be a perfect timing to make a podcast about about this topic admittedly the idea of monarchy and the idea of societal development the idea of societal organization um, intrigued me quite often in the past couple of years and so speaking about monarchy doesn't relate only to politics. It relates to the very fundamental idea of how human beings organize their societies today and how human beings have organized their societies since the dawn of time. And that is what I want to speak about today. I want to answer multiple different questions and well first of all ask a lot of very interesting questions and then attempt to answer some of them obviously we're not going to be able to answer all of them but um, a very very important fundamental question must be how did we go from the very beginning of societal organization, of human organization. For example, when, when humans were hunter-gatherers and they lived in, in the forest, how did we go from that type of organization to all the way to monarchy and then all the way to um, democracy and all of the different governmental institutions that we have today? So to start by speaking about the evolution of human societies from small groups to the complex civilizations that we have today, we have to understand that it was a long and gradual process that took thousands and thousands of years, starting with the, well, as I would say in hunter-gatherer bands, where the earliest human societies um, that existed were very small, they were nomadic groups of hunter gatherers and they were typically made up of extended families or or clans and they obviously always relied on hunting fishing and and gathering wild plants to to survive from hunter gatherers we st- humans started to to create more of a, of a, of a, a tribal type of society where when the human populations grew and became more settled, some groups began to organize themselves into larger tribes. And these tribes were typically made up also of, of several related families and, and clans, and they were often led by a chief or, um, or whatever authority figure that they, they, cho- they chose. And in here, tribes from multiple different parts of the world act very differently and have different traditions and uh, approaches approaches onto how to organize themselves and uh, by how to organize themselves I mean how to choose a leader. Next, across history, we started to see the emergence of the early civilizations. And so, as I said, hunter-gatherers, then tribal societies, and then early civilizations. Um, These types of civilizations emerged in very specific parts of the world, approximately 5,000 years ago or something, where one of the earliest civilizations, if not the earliest, is the one that emerged in Mesopotamia, which is modern day Iraq, some parts of Iraq. And then you have the, the Egyptian civilization, which is also one of the earliest civilizations out there. And, um, they were all characterized by the development of cities and writing systems and and these new complex systems of of governments and and religion and uh, obviously uh, alongside this boom in civilization we had to to see advanced agricultural techniques and so because the thing with with humans is that it's only when you have what it takes to live well and thus food and thus good agriculture and so you cover the basics of what you need to survive is when you starts to see the emergence of of, um, of civilization and, and all of these different forms of of expression and development, as I said, such as religion and writing and and, and art and etc. Within the these civilizations, um, as I said we have more complex systems of of governance. It's here where we started to see rulers, like, for example, in in the case of of, um, ancient Egypt, we had pharaohs and so um and it's here where where we started to see um bureaucracy and in the good sense bureaucracy because we started to see specific people playing key roles in organizing and managing society and um, these people are the ones that oversee the development of the city the construction the public work the administration and the justice etc and right after these earliest forms of civilization, we start to see the more classical uh, types of civilizations. And, and so we start to see or include the ancient Greeks and the Romans and the Chinese civilization, the Indian civilization, which have been extremely successful. uh, When you see that a country is so densely populated, know that in the centuries to pass, they witnessed a boom. They were able to feed a lot of people because they were very advanced, um, not only agriculturally, but from so many different aspects. And then obviously their civilizations fell. Anyway, in of Suji. And so um, it's here where we start to see more advancements in in art, emergence in literature, in philosophy, in science. And it's here where humans are now very comfortable, you know, that we... we really like started to leave and left to to a, to a, a certain degree agriculture and moved towards we have time and we have uh, we have the resources or humans in general when we say when I say we they've had the time and the resources to focus on science to focus on thinking um, and it's here where we see the development of a complex political system and the emergence of democracy for example with the Greeks um, and in in inclusion of all of this, we have the republics and empires and 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 more. And so, and exactly in these societies where we're starting to see, uh, the emergence of uh, of an, of a new type of intellect is uh, where we also see emergence of leaders and and thinkers and uh, these are the people that played important roles in in shaping the development of of all of these uh, all of this emerging art and literature and philosophy. and these are the same people that oversaw the growth and and um, the growth of a um, the growth of, of, of the military and uh, consequently or at the same time the political institutions because you need strong political institutions to have a powerful military and you need powerful military to have a strong political institutions, I would say. Right after we start to witness the emergence of the medieval societies where we... Where Europe experienced the collapse of of classical civilizations, such as the Roman Empire, and witnessed the rise of feudalism. And uh, feudalism essentially is um, is a is a social system in which the nobility held lands from the crown, and so from the 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 ruling family in exchange for military service. And so these are powerful people powerful lords who had a lot of men and had a lot of power and they took land from the crown as i said in exchange for for military service these people had peasants which they obliged to work in their lands to be able to make a living and and uh, well survive and not die of of hunger even though a lot of them did die of hunger but yeah and so essentially it's it's during the middle age dur- during this time is where leaders started to play a critical role in managing the complex social and economic um systems of of um, of the of these societies. It's these same people within the crown and these lords and very rich and powerful people are the ones that started to oversee the administration of justice and the collection of taxes and the organization of military forces um i don't know if you watched game of thrones but (laughs) how they organize the palace and who is responsible for the money, who is responsible for um, for the military, who is responsible for uh, the the citadel, for example, and so like the scientific research, Kishol, are is is very similar, uh, kind of identical to how to how Europeans organized the uh, the the ruling system, I would say, in in medieval, in medieval Europe. And finally, we are at the current era, which is the modern societies. And modern societies have been completely revolutionized by industrialization, globalization, and the age of information. And that is not funny, ladies and gentlemen, but whatever. And obviously, as we all know today, um, we have very specific formats of government and heads of state and presidents and ministries and etc. are the ones responsible for shaping the politics, economics and cultures of countries. And so to just very quickly summarize everything that I have been talking about in the past couple of minutes say 10 minutes or so the evolution of human societies went from tribal leaders to monarchs and and to today's governmental institutions um we went from having to organize our lives throughout tribes living in very simple societies to having monarchies to then having feudalism and to today having nation states and democratic institutions and modern government going back to the topic of monarchy speaking about the importance or the influence (laughs) going back to the topic of monarchy what was the importance of this method of ruling in the medieval times and Obviously, back then, it was much more significant and and much more relevant than it is today. It used to be considered as the primary political power. And so the monarchy was often the dominant political institutions where kings and queens held a great deal of power and were able to shape the laws and policies of their kingdoms. And they often had control over the military, the economy, and the administration of justice. And if you hold justice, you hold everything. The monarchy in medieval times also was considered to be a religious authority, where the monarchs were seen as having a divine right to rule, they were anointed by God. <laughs> Um, this gave them significant religious authority and they were able to influence the religious practices of their subjects. And for example, many monarchs were involved in the appointments of bishops and other church officials. And it's the same idea of the divinity of the monarchy that we still see today with the British monarchy, where Prince, oh, King, sorry, King, King Charles the Third was coronated yesterday in westminster abbey um, which is a royal church and he is now considered to be the head of the english church and and so yes the monarchy still has a very heavy and important religious authority and religious um, symbolic rule and speaking about symbolic rule other than religion the monarchy also acts as a um, a human symbol. It's like a a sim- other than a symbol of divinity, but a um, a symbol of uh, of of existence of a of, um, of a higher level in in some sort. And so they were seen as if they're embodying cultural and historical traditions, and um and that their power was. Uh, was always associated with the concept of chivalry. And so kind of like a next level of a, of a human being, a, a symbol, a perfect symbol of how a person should be and every good thing should be um, kind of collected and comes together in their image. So they were they were expected to embody all of the ideals of honor, courage and generosity and that is to protect their subjects from harm. Today, we see many of these characteristics associated to the Windsor family, and the Windsor family are the British ruling family, the current royals of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, um, especially with the late Queen Elizabeth II. The, the Anyway, you have to understand that the Windsors are a family... First of all, they come from a Germanic background. So they're originally not English, not British. But their name as part of the ruling family or the monarchy of, of Britain, started back in 1910 with George V. Anyway, it's a very complicated story. I really do not want to get into it. But I want to speak about how successful, extremely successful, the Windsor family had been as a, as a monarchy in the past decade and before that via their ancestors that um, took uh, have been part of the ruling class for more than a thousand years and that have quite literally shaped Europe. Shaped the entirety of Europe. They've been incredibly successful. And Their success can be attributed to so many different factors. One of which is stability, where, as I said, they've been on the throne for almost a century. And this provides a sense of stability and continuity, especially I really want to emphasize on the importance of stability and continuity um, for the United Kingdom. The family really weathered many political and social changes over over the years and managed to maintain a positive public image. Obviously, it has ups and downs, but overall, they did a pretty decent job at ensuring that position leha malgré. Obviously, they had to do a lot, a lot of bad things. Uh, and here, here just to open parentheses vraiment très rapidement. Um, Success doesn't necessarily mean moral success, just to say this. So people that have been successful outside of the Windsors or the success of of any monarchy across the years and across time um, doesn't necessarily mean that they are good people and they've been doing good things. And if one admires their ability to succeed, it doesn't necessarily mean that one admires what they had to do to succeed. Anyway, on to why the Windsor family or the current British monarchy have been so um, successful. Secondly, other than stability, they have an amazing ability to adapt to change in times. Um, in comparison to to monarchies across history, they are very quick to adapt and change and modernize themselves. And so they embrace new technology. For example, with the coronation of the late uh, Queen Elizabeth II, part of her coronation was filmed. It was first of its time. Here you understand that for their time, that type of event is, is considered to be divine. is considered to be an act of God, and to share it with those that are less um than you is truly like a step forward truly something that their class has to be super open open-minded to accept and so they really are able to focus on the future understand what they need to do to keep relevant and uh yeah they also to a certain extent demonstrate a certain level of charisma and, and leadership and they all go to uh, the army and they work normal jobs and they participate in, in fashion events and um, so they try to demonstrate a certain level of, uh, of, of presence, which is very easy when you have that amount of money. They also have been able to constantly gain popular support throughout their um, public engagements and charitable work and so many different activities. I know a lot of you might love Diana and a lot of people say Diana is amazing and she is really good and she does a lot of charity. But I learned a couple of years ago that every member of the royal family... Has like hundreds of charity, and Diana had the least number, or well, one of the least numbers of 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 charities that she uh, she she took she took over. Um, so all of them truly tr- try as much as they can to stay connected with every different class of people in in Britain. Fifth is um, international influence. And um, here is to say that the Windsor family has also had a significant impact on the international stage. And they have been able to promote British interests abroad, build relationships with other countries, and act as ambassadors for the United Kingdom. They go on tours all the time and... uh, um, they they visit so many different countries such as the united states and uh, and uh, many countries in africa and they try as much as they can to to keep connected and so now in conclusion or just to very quickly revise everything that we have said since the very beginning of human existence People formed societies, formed groups and then formed tribes and societies and civilizations and monarchies. And then we reached the current level or the current style of governmental institutions to govern everything and every system that we have from the economy to politics to justice, etc., A very important question to to ask ourselves today, and that is being already asked in the United Kingdom, for example, is how relevant and how needed is the British monarchy today in the United Kingdom? And we're seeing, evidently, a lot of groups fighting against the monarchy and asking for the monarchy to be abolished. The monarchy today in Britain always still contributes largely and in a very nice way to the the peace and the prosperity of the united kingdom not only through stability and not only through the symbolism but and not only through the charitable work uh, but also through boosting the economy, through uh, tourism and through national unity. Because as I said, um, the monarchy always serves as a unifying force for a country, especially a monarchy as successful and as long reigning as the British monarchy. It truly played a detrimental, important role role in bringing together the identity of the United Kingdom across Scotland and, and Northern Ireland and even across the um, commonwealth. Now, in comparison to other countries, um, other systems like Malachi, for example, in Saudi Arabia with Mohammed bin Salman, we noticed that obviously everyone knows that Mohammed bin Salman is very young and he took it upon himself to fix certain aspects of of the organization or or the ruling of Saudi Arabia, right? And one could argue that if not for the Monarchical system that allowed him to be in that position, we, he would not no one would have been able to make those reforms. Because in a democratic system, for example, it's much more difficult to make changes because the change depends on multiple different people. And if not not to example by example and uh, if it's so culturally if it's ingrained within the culture that a woman should not drive in a democratic system ruled majorly by men it's very very difficult to change that but in a monarchical system where only one person can make a change it becomes much more difficult to jump uh, to the next steps but obviously because. If uh, Mohammed bin Salman was uh, did not really want that and wanted to it would be um, less liberal, right? And uh, more human rights would be violated. And we can argue that in the case of North Korea, for example, where Um, dictatorship is a real thing and one person truly rules everything and makes decisions in relation to everything and if that one person is not progressive and doesn't have any progressive ideas then the country will sink in the ideas of that one person and so when the monarch is a monarch has tendencies to be more progressive obviously we can have a lot of very positive Um, repercussions if not we're going to have negative repercussions and here we kind of draw a diff a line with the difference with a with the with Britain once again because Britain truly was able to reach this consensus where no um, there is democracy there are multiple parties multiple people rule there is a prime minister that yes acts in the name of the king or the queen but multiple people have a saying with you still having the added value of a monarchy in symbolism and in charity and in tourism and and so on and so under these circumstances the questions that i keep asking myself is don't the brits owe it to the monarchy to the ruling family to leave them in peace and leave them be not only that they add to the current economy and not only that they're important in diplomatic relations, not only that their weight is, um, important in, uh, in at an international scale. But don't they owe it to the monarchy, to that same family that united the United Kingdom, that created a unified identity, that ensured the success that they're in today, that ensured the success that they have been in yesterday, that developed the empire that once was the great empire of britain um i don't know how to answer these questions i mean to you to answer them however you want i personally like a monarchical system i think if it works as well as it works for the brits it's there to stay we never know what the future holds and so these people will never know when they would they might need the monarchy in the future. I'm going to give you this very quick story where it's known that the queen when she was alive if the if the cabinet needed her and so if the prime minister needed her and they were having diplomatic issues many heads of states and many presidents across the world would in short, uh, if she, for example, invites them over for dinner, they cannot—they um, cannot take the cost of refusing dinner from the queen. And so that respect that was built there, via generations of wealth and via generations of of strength, is is, is supposedly there to stay. Honestly. And it's supposedly there to stay and be appreciated. Anyways, that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, its I mean, I left a couple of points for you to think about. The difference between... Um, I mean why is Morocco not as successful as Saudi Arabia doesn't really always go back to the fact that uh, the monarchs are least successful they're not as good but Saudi Arabia and Qatar for example have truly been blessed with um, immense amounts of oil and so immense amounts of money that they could use however they want and that is the reason why they've been able to use to I mean, get to the level of success that they're in today, um, because if not for the money, they they wouldn't really know how to. Org- I mean, I guess they wouldn't really know how to organize themselves well enough without it, and which is not the case for for Morocco. And it's the same thing for Qatar, for example, where um, the current prince of Qatar, Sheikh Tamim ibn Hamad Al Thani was given the throne or was after his father abdicated in his favor. Uh, his father, Sheikh Hamad, actually, Sheikh Hamad is the person that had a vision for a better Qatar. Qatar was very poor and the population was extremely poor. And it was when they discovered oil and Sheikh Hamad had had a vision to bring Qatar back. Well, not bring Qatar back, but make Qatar the what it is today. It's because of la volonté and him being very well positioned and smart enough and uh, especially having a sense of responsibility towards his country. Because, and that sense of responsibility can be very strengthened if your family was the ruling family for generations. And if you belong to it, then you're kind of born with that responsibility and you'll die with it. And so all of these different contributors is what can make a great leader is and is what raises the chances of a country rapidly evolving and rapidly or building a better economy and yeah from my perspective monarchy is very important monarchy have always been very important um it really talks to the way humans have always organized themselves and the way they needed leaders and it's important to keep the successful leaders that have existed forever they've been there for a reason and they have what it takes they have had what it takes but as as societies evolve as mentalities evolve as we come up with these new ways of governance are we really at a point where we can let go of the past or do our human tendencies still have a lot to say in how we should organize our societies and i think the answer to this question can answer very clearly about what on can answer very clearly whether We still some some countries still need monarchies or not or countries as successful as britain and as developed and societies as developed as britain whether they still need monarchies or not that is it thank you i hope i was clear and i'll see you soon in another podcast goodbye